Hi, I'm Monse, and this is Musings of the Artist, a podcast where I have meaningful conversations with all kinds of artists, musicians, writers, painters, photographers, and other creatives share their honest stories, touching on the duality of being creative, the pure joy of making art, but also the particular struggles that come with it. Particularly in, a, in the pandemic, my number one goal is to emerge softer, like softer, like a pat of butter. Like I, I just want my edges to be smoothed and for me to be more gentle with myself, more gentle with other people and less reactive because I, I think that's what the world wants right now. Like that's what it needs. People who are less quick to judge, less quick to be cruel, less quick to be reactive and, and to kind of slow things down a little bit. Tara Schuster is an exec at Comedy Central, playwright and new author. In this episode, we chat all about her new book, Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies and Other Rituals to Fix Your Life from Someone Who Has Been There. We talk rock bottoms, reparenting, becoming your own champion, and making new friends as an adult. Tara tells us why should is her least favorite word, and she has some wise words to share about not comparing our pain to others. I so enjoyed the conversation with Tara, and I have a hunch that you'll be nodding your head yes along with me as you listen to her. So here is my conversation with Tara Schuster. So um, just to sort of set the stage for anyone who is listening and doesn't know you already or know who you are, um, professionally, you're a Comedy Central exec and you're now an author, which we're going to talk all about. Um, But I'd like to start by asking if you could describe who you are beyond what you do and how you move through the world. Mm, that's such a good question and one that um, I'm not prepared for. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard, it's kind of a hard contemplative question. <laughs> I, I do have a chapter in my book um, titled, Who Even Are You? Um, where I like created a chart of what my values, principles, and self, self-esteem come from. So yeah. if I remember back to what I myself have said about who I am, um, no. I think I am somebody who is seeking answers that ultimately I want to know how, how I want to move in the world that is beneficial to this world. How can I be a part of something good is sort of at the, is sort of what I'm moving towards. And I think I find increasingly that how I could contribute something of value, something of meaning, something that makes other people feel less lonely is through storytelling, that that, that has always been the thing that I love the most and, and is the common denominator either at Comedy Central or in my own writing. I, you know, storytelling is what it all comes down to. Mm. And I think I'm a seeker. And a beginner, like I, I'm always a beginner at any of these things I try. I really try to let myself learn as much as I can, and um, and always approach things in the most amateur way possible because yeah. it's a there's so much more possibility when I walk into something 
thinking that I don't know how to do it and like, let me figure this out. Then it, then thinking, Oh, I've been here before. I know what I'm doing. Like, you know, I don't learn very much when I do that. So somewhere in that mishmash, I think is, is who I am. I love that. And one of the many things I love about the book is I think it just, it really sort of promotes this, um, this theme of curiosity and getting curious about your wounds and your sort of way of being and um, doing a lot of unpacking to understand yourself and others. Um, and, and also the other thing that really stood out to me was that, you know, I've, I've worked in the entertainment industry for many years myself and um, it's, I have a real strong disdain towards people that are execs and just think that they like own the world and they're just <laughs> so condescending to people. And, they're right. also there, and then there's the opposite. And I have been so blessed to also experience the, especially I'll say two women in my life that when I was started out as an intern at Sony Music, uh, one Karen Lieberman and the mm -hmm. other one is Karen BZ, both Karens, both VPs, and they they to me like capture this essence that I think you also have. It's just like wanting to help and teach and zero ego, and it's just so refreshing to have those people. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, I wasn't even actually planning on specifically asking me this, but now that I'm saying that out loud, like how did, how, how did you, like what inspired you to be that way? Um, and like, once you are at the, you know, quote unquote top of the company, like how, um, like what keeps you sort of grounded, you know? I'm so glad you asked this question because no one has ever asked me it before. And it's something I really work on and care about. Um, and I have a very practical answer, which is earlier in my career, I had the good fortune of having a colleague who was acted with the utmost integrity at every single turn. Um, his self-worth did not come from the status of his job. He never once let being an executive be an ego thing. He, he was there to help artists make comedy. And so I, I really got to see that. And I might not have appreciated it had I not had another colleague who was a absolute disaster of need and ego mm -hmm. and needed to be the center of attention. You know, we'd be in a room with world famous co comedians and he'd be trying to do bits and like, Steal, oh, I know that so well. You know, yeah, <laughs> and like, yeah, steal the attention. And by looking at these two people, I kind of saw how to act and how not to act in such stark relief. Um, and and I and I also intuited, and maybe because I um grew up amongst wealthy people, not being wealthy myself, or always being in sort of one foot in, one foot out. Um, I intuited that it wouldn't be a sustainable um, existence, if my self-esteem was hitched to the title of my job, if, if my self-esteem was hitched to external factors that I could never fully control, then I'd always be in a losing position. I'd, I'd never feel confident just as I was. Yes. And yeah. It, yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I no, please. Oh, I was just going to say that, like, that really just moved me because it's so palpable, that difference, you know? And yeah. like, I just think about, um, like, one of my bosses from Sony, when I was at the very bottom, you know, I was an intern, and she treated me as her equal. 
And I have been in other places where, um, you know, I'm higher up in my mm-hmm. title, yet the person above me is treating me like, you know, unless I have something that can directly like help them, they don't care, you know, right. and see the way that they would act in front of an artist, like a, you know, an A-list celebrity versus right. the way that they would treat their colleagues like night and day. And it's just so sickening, you know? Yeah. Well, so, yeah. you ha- I mean, what I saw was that I would have to be that person. Exactly. Like, if, yeah. if I, if I, you know, turned it on and turned it off and treated artists so different than I treated, you know, an assistant or an intern or even, you know, someone at my level, like I would have to be the kind of person who treated people poorly below me. And I didn't want to be that person. I yeah. saw what that looked like and how, you know, this one individual how tenuous his self-esteem was and how anxious he constantly was. And I, I just knew very early on, okay, I'm not, I don't want to be that. And I don't want to be remembered as being that. I don't want that to be my legacy. Yeah. Who wants to make someone feel so small? I mean, that's just like Ugh. horrible people. I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not, not horrible, insecure. Yeah. Insecure. You know? Thank you. That's true. I, I can <laughs> Like, even though this person, you know, was um, <laughs> a, a disaster, um, I can feel some empathy for how hurt must he have been? How, how, how much was he gripping onto this one thing that gave his life importance? How thin? How, you know, like, I, I can feel, like, um, some empathy for where he must have been coming from, but also you know, boundaries myself with him and not, and not for, and not because he treated me really poorly, not then treating the people below me really poorly. Cause that's another place people get hung up in Hollywood is, um, you know, assistance of agents, for example, they're screamed at, yelled at, it's a horrible environment some of the time. And then when they become agents, I mean, I've heard people say, you know, well, it's my turn. Like now mm-hmm. I get to, to be in charge. Wow. But more and more, I've noticed that people are kind of, um, the spell has been cracked. And, you know, all the young agents I know, none of them are like that. Like yeah. th- that is less and less acceptable. Um, yes. Thank yes. God. Thank God. Exactly. And it, it kind of, it, um, it's a, another theme really of your story is just, you know, whether it's in that, it's that power structure, right? Like whether it's a manager or a parent who is just, it is, you know, disaster. And, and um, it's sort of like taking the, the power, yeah, the power back into your own hands and seeking, you know, sort of reparenting and taking ways, like finding love where maybe it's where you don't have it, but filling the well in other ways. Right. You know, whether it's um, parental, romantic, you know, it, it can be found like elsewhere in the world. And I love so much how throughout your book, you really teach that about how, and I should, before I babble on about your book, I was going <laughs> to say that I also wanted to just hit the stage for people who don't, haven't read it yet. It's a beautiful, funny, uh, just heartwarming book about that's both, um, it's sort of part memoir and part self-help or guide, you know, mm-hmm. and it blends the two so beautifully because I think I read a lot of memoirs mm. and, you know, I, I love them, but there's not this sort of like, you know, you sort of have to do this own pause in your head when you're reading something that really resonates and you have to sort of do this like check with yourself, like, oh, 
I'm sort of, I want to, I'm going to take that and like run with it or, you know, and then right. there's also the other part where there's like self-help books where it's a lot of lists, but not a lot of context. Right. And what I love is that your book sort of does both of those things. Thank you. I, I mean, it, honestly, nothing could make me happier than hearing that because I'm a huge memoir fan. I I basically only read nonfiction. I couldn't tell you the last time I read fiction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what, you know, I grew up in a neglected house where things came to die, you know, like the pets, the plants, uh, like true truly like a family of deer in the lap pool um and it was just utter chaos and one of the places when i decided well i guess i could i could kind of set the stage which was that childhood kind of turned me into this mess wreck disaster of a person um and where i was suffering from chronic anxiety that it, it basically felt like i was living in a headache yeah. um and depression. And on a good day, you'd find me openly weeping on the subway. And that was good because it meant I had made it through my work day um, intact. Mm -hmm. And I might have kept going this way, except I hit rock bottom on my 25th birthday, when I drunk dialed my therapist, threatening to hurt myself. And the next morning, playing back her voicemails, because I had drunk dialed her, I'd forgotten I'd done it. I, I I heard the panic and the worry in her voice. And that made me really worried. And it, it really, you know, for the first time ever, I was like, oh my God, if, if I don't get serious about my life, I'm not going to have much of a life to live. And so I decided, okay, I never had parents. I don't know how to take care of myself. It doesn't matter that I didn't have the worst childhood ever. Because for a lot of times, a lot of time I had pushed how I really did feel under a blanket of should. Yeah. Like, like, well, I, I didn't have it that bad. I should be better. I should be smarter. I shouldn't feel as depressed. I just said, screw that. I actually am a goddamn mess. And it's time to heal myself. And so this connects right back to what you were just saying, which is I turned to the place I had turned to as a kid when I felt lonely and like I needed direction, which was memoir. I, mm -hmm. I turned to Nora Ephron. I, I mean, I have literally read anything Nora Ephron has written. I have read it and I have margin noted it. Mm -hmm. I, I read Cheryl Strayed. I read Joan Didion. I read Heather Heverleski, like any, I, I read Steve Martin looking for how do you live a life? I, I read the people that I admired and in a Google document, I started taking notes on what, how they said I should live a life, what, what advice they had and how it could apply to me. And so when I was writing my own book, it was top of mind that I wanted to write a memoir where I could hit you over the head in the most literary way possible with what you could take away from the story, like write the story, give you the memoir piece, but then also hand you like a cheat sheet at the end of it, because that would have been really useful to me at the time. Mm -hmm. And so that's exactly why the book ended up in the form that it did was simply 
it's my take on memoir. And it's just, I'm just trying to be a little helpful about um, what you can take from, from these stories. It's so great. Yeah. And I, I, um, it was what you, what's really to be admired in when, as you read this book and also just inspired by is that you took circumstances that, you know, you talk a lot about sort of hitting that rock bottom at 25. A lot of people with these deep wounds and, um, and traumas, because that's really what they are, you know, can just stay in that place that you were at when you were 25 and not move through that into the other side, you know? Um, So I think it's so, it's going to be so valuable to people who are still in that spot of, you know, self-medicating and not really seeing all their deep wounds, you know, to actually learn how to examine them and and then move through them and get to the other side. And I speak from somebody who has done a lot of work myself. So I know, Mm -hmm. I know being on the other side of like, you know, I don't, I, I haven't, um, I'm not like I haven't self-medicated in that way, but I do in others in other ways, you know? So Yeah. And I hope my real hope is that, you know, some of my circumstances were a little extreme and, and just like in comedy, I hope that by showing the absurd edge, like the extreme version of something that people who have just shades of it can relate because I'm showing you like, okay, I know my situation was a little out there. But can you see a shade of this in your own yes. life? Yes. You know? Yes, yes, yes. And Absolutely. I, and that's also, like, why I think doing it through humor, you know, I hope the book is funny. I feel like I'm being particularly unfunny right now because I because I saw, I saw you had Krista Tippett and real people on your podcast. And I feel like I have to be smart. Um, no, 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 you are smart. Oh, my God. It's too funny. But, um... <laughs> But, you know, the reason to do it through humor for me is because when you laugh, when you find yourself delighted or amused, I can get in there. I can, like, I can get in there with you and talk to you in a a different way because the act of laughter is something physical. Like, it's something physical your body has to do. And so, and it's disarming. So for me, it's, I definitely thought a lot about, um, you know, even though I was a little nervous to put my story out there because of some of the extremes of it, you know, what would people think? I was like, fuck it. I'm going to put this out there because, because it's extreme, people actually might take a lot more out of it because they'll see a shade of themselves in it. And if I use humor, I can really like, drive the point home and and sit with someone like really be there with them um so yeah yeah I thank you you know I I really want when I the original purpose of the book was just to make other people feel less lonely yes I think you accomplished that for sure I think well it's two things one you know I think that humor is a huge sign of intelligence in its own right. And, and your book is hilarious. And the other thing is that I think that in being so raw and vulnerable as you are in the book and just utterly real, like that builds trust in the reader so that they can follow you along and and see themselves in whatever little pieces, you know, in your story. So, yeah, I think that's, it's really apparent. The number one piece of feedback I get on the book, which is so creepy and cool is people say, I could have written this book. This Mm. was the book I would have written. Like, how did you get in my head and write this down? 
And it was a very deliberate, when I was writing it, I really thought of a person sitting with me and that I was writing to them. And so it's like the biggest compliment I could get because I, I hope that it does feel like someone else's story. I hope that it does feel like, oh, I can completely relate to that. Um, and so that's been extraordinarily beautiful. Definitely. And I, I think it's the funny thing with writing. I'm a writer too. And I find that it's so, so terrifying to put your deepest vulnerabilities like on the page and or even less than that, just sharing it. It's that's, what's mm-hmm. really scary. Right. Cause there's all these voices in your head, like, Oh, they're going to think I'm stupid or like sent too sensitive or whatever, all the things. Um, but I find that when I have shared the most vulnerable pieces that I've written with people, that's like, those are the ones that resonate the most. Oh yeah. That, I mean, they're actually authentic and this, kind of dovetails with my career the one thing we look for in comedians is authenticity and point of view because audiences know when it's real they know when you're fake when someone's faking it and I think my decade plus of looking for point of view and being able to recognize it in others and like really recognize when somebody was being authentic and vulnerable and rigorous it made it much easier for me to do the same because I could kind of sense my own bullshit. Like I could yeah. sense if I wasn't going far enough into something. And I, I also had an incredible editor. Like my, I feel like, and I'm going to knock on wood, my relationship with my editor is like what you read about a relationship with an editor could be like. Mm. She, like she gets what I'm trying to do and is so on my same wavelength and in my brain, but helps me elevate. So it was like the perfect combination of I had all this training in point of view and being authentic. And she, you know, challenged me to write better, you know, like to really paint a scene. And and so I, I feel very lucky for that combination. That's so great because it, there's nothing worse than having an editor who like, you know, sort of changes your voice and like makes it, wants it to make it something different. So that's, that sounds like the perfect editor. Yeah. <laughs> like really nurturing your own voice and just elevating it. Annie, if you're listening, did you hear Woo-hoo. that? Perfect editor. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Um, gosh, I have so many things to touch on, but I, I want to actually, before we go deeper into the, you know, healthy relationships and finding them like, you know, where you can, because I want to talk a little bit more about that. But before going on to that, I, I really just wanted to pause and talk about the Mother's Day piece that you wrote. Ah, um, yeah. It, first of all, it made me cry in, in a Aww. good way. Um, it was, it was so on point. And I have to say, as somebody that I have for all the years that I've been on Instagram, mm-hmm. however, however long it's been now, um, I have such a hard time with the Mother's Day and Father's Day posts. Um, mm. Just because I think what is so hard for me to, I, I have a hard time going on Instagram those days because I can't help but put myself in the shoes of the people who have lost a mother or are estranged from their mother, maybe didn't even really have a mother at all. Um, all those different scenarios that could have been, or that want to be a mother, all the, right. all the painful points, you know, and, and how... I just can't imagine um, being in those shoes and, and going on Instagram and seeing 
post after post after post of my mother is the best in the world and having this and how can that not be so painful, you know? Um, so it's really, it's always been really hard for, for me to just sort of like think about yeah. that. And so when I read your, um, your piece, it, it really, I was just like, thank you for writing that. You know, I just uh, think that needs to be out there. Thank, I mean, thank you for reflecting that back to me because you know, I actually pitched that piece a couple places and it, and they were like not interested. And I was like, this needs to be said. Yes. And so I was just like, I was just like, okay, let me post this. And the, and the response I've gotten has been insane. And it kind of like lets me know that like I'm on to something. That's right. Um, you know, and I think it will be um, good. It'll definitely be in book two. That's for sure. Yay! Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I think Mother's Day for me is really tough because I'm inundated with all these images of what it should look like. And I have such a, I don't have a relationship with my mom. Um, I chose that. What's tough is to go on Instagram and see all these images of what should be. And I'm, rem I'm reminded of, of a lack, um, except that I've reframed it. You know, it would be very easy. It's really easy to hang on to what we don't have, to the voids. But because I see the void, I also see where it's being filled in other places. Like the love of my sister. She gives me maternal love. My best friend who is so protective of me, she gives me maternal love. And and that the holiday has become so exclusive of other kinds of maternal love. And there's always a different way to see things, which is not to hang on to what you lack, but to hang on to what you have and to continue to foster those things that you do have. And so I was just happy to be able to talk about it and be honest and hopefully helpful because I definitely had the best Mother's Day I've ever had this year because I really it was a gift that people connected back to me and told me how much it meant to them because then I didn't feel so alone first off, but it was also, I realized I have a lot to be proud of, you know, I, you know, because the first thing people say when you say, I don't have a relationship with my mom is I'm so sorry. Right. That's just out their mouth. It's either this, it's either I'm so sorry or you should really get to know your mom, warts and all. Like, you only get one mom. And to both responses, it's just people don't know what to say because it yeah. seems so unnatural to be estranged from a parent. And, and, and honestly, to those people, what I would say is, like, that's so nice for you that you don't know. Mm -hmm. like, you, like, you literally, you just don't know. Because as bad as you think it would have to be to cut out a parent from your life, that is how bad it was for me. So yeah, it was a tough choice to make, kind of. But when you have to save your life, you have to save your life. Um, right. And so I hope it also builds a little empathy for those who have it perfect, yeah. you know, that or just a little complicated or, you know, some shade of, of perfect that we can all bring a little maternal love to our friends. Um, we can all, we can all, be there a little bit more and be a little more sensitive to why some of these um, holidays might be a little triggering for people. Absolutely. And 
one of the things you really show in this book is that, um, well, just what you were speaking about, but that you can, you can still seek out that maternal love and healthy relationship, you know, through like you, you do it with your friends, parents. And yeah. I, I also love, um, in addition to the, the parental thing, it's also the, you know, you, I, oh my gosh, I just, we need to talk about all the bozos that you dated. Um, <laughs> I have also so dated, those, oh my God. I, when I was reading them, I was like, it's outrageous. Some of the behaviors, but I also was like, wow, I too have yeah. put up with this bullshit. I and, too have accepted yes, some yes. real bullshit. Yeah. And also a lot of the similar things that you write about, the exact same things. And I'm just like, uh, yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the point is, I was going to say about that is that you know, even when you're not, and I, I just love that you really emphasize do not settle because that's been my motto my whole life, you know, and I, yeah. I've been single for most of my life really because of that. I refuse to settle. And, mm-hmm. um, and anyways, I was going to say that, you know, just because you aren't in a partnership doesn't mean you can't have that love. Like, you know, you have your friends, like think about all the people around you. And I think when you do that, and as you do, you talk about so beautifully in your book, you really, it, it helps to take us out of this victim role and puts us like right up close to the abundance of love that we have available if we open our eyes to it, you know? Right. And, I mean, um, absolutely. Oh, right. No, please. I would just want to say one more thing about what it really like, what came to mind as I was reading your words about all this is that, um, in the artist way, which I know you're very familiar with, mm-hmm. um, there's a part, like one of the exercises that she talks about, um, I think it's towards the beginning of the book where it's she has you list sort of like the monsters hall of fame and yeah. the um and the champions you've had in your life and mm-hmm. that exercise for me was super eye-opening because you it, I think it's our normal human tendency to sort of um focus more on negative over the positive especially mm-hmm. when it's like you know people giving commentary about the way you are, the way you live your life. So it's like very natural, like to hear those, those monster voices that like the mean kid in sixth grade or whether it's a parent or whatever. Um, but when I did this list, you know, I had my monster list and then I had my champion list. And when I like looked at my champions list and I saw names of people on there that are the people I admire so much in this world. And I think, Oh my gosh, I have them in my corner. Like how cute is that? You know? Um, I think all of us, if we really take the time to do that, we'll, we'll sort of be blown away by that. And if we can just put our focus on that champions list and hear those or, you know, had those voices echo louder in our heads, it can make all the difference. Yeah. I mean, a huge through line of the book is you, we have a negative bias. I mean, we just do. You remember shitty things people said to you and put downs and basically compliments go in one ear out the other and into a dumpster fire you know like we we don't hang on to the to the positive feedback at all um and so a lot of what i try to show people is you can be your own champion like you can speak differently to yourself and i'm almost 10ish years into this reparenting And I still slip up sometimes and find myself really beating myself up and criticizing myself for things that I just don't need to criticize myself for. And I have to remember, okay, that's my frenemy within speaking. That's not really me. That's all the negative conditioning I've been through. Thank you so much for your opinions. 
but goodbye. Like, don't need to talk to you. Don't need to listen to that. That's not, that's not real. That's not the truth. That is some self-limiting belief. And so I, th- I think it's two-pronged. I think we need to find our champions and hold on tight to them, like you said. Um, and for me, you know, I have my, I call it my lady harem, which is my group of women who bring me such love and ab- abundant love and joy and unconditional love. And they're extremely important to me. But I also have the love of myself, which is strong and fierce, and I no longer accept bad behavior from others. And, and that's like a big lesson of the book, yes. too. It, you know, you, you can't control anything external. And this even gets back to the beginning of our discussion about um, self-esteem coming from a job. Those external things are just fake. Like, they, they actually don't exist. And if you hit your self-esteem to what other people think, you can never be whole because you're hanging on to, to quicksand. Like it, it, people's opinions change, jobs change, the economy changes. How you actually feel about yourself and how you carry yourself in the world never has to change. And if you don't believe me, if that sounds crazy, I've recently been reading Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Have you read that? I haven't read it yet. Oh my God. Okay. This is like, <laughs> this is like, stop the podcast. Please go read this. Oh, um, exciting. Okay. But I mean, I think this might be my favorite book I've ever read. Like wow. that level of status. Yeah. Okay, so I'll order it immediately after this. <laughs> yeah. So Viktor Frankl is writing, he is writing from Auschwitz. He, his wife murdered, family murdered. He's in different concentration camps for two years and he comes out of it and says, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher this a little bit. So you really do have to read it. But he says that the last of human freedoms is to choose our attitude towards any circumstance. And and that's how we choose our own path. That there no matter the circumstance. So if Victor yeah. fucking Frankel in the <laughs> goddamn Holocaust yeah. could choose an attitude of I do choose my attitude. I do not need to be the victim of these circumstances even though I am the victim of the Holocaust, I am still going to act in a way that I choose. I'm going to look at this in a way that I choose. For me, that's, I mean, that's everything. Absolutely. And that's, isn't it the most, um, I don't know, when I, when I see people that have gone through just horrors in their life and are just come out and are just the most beautiful, giving people, it's just, woof, you know, And, and, and you know that in that, like they have chosen to take yeah. the, you know, terrible thing but, that they've gone through and, 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 you know, just be a generous, loving person because in spite of it, you know? And I has you know, I, but I, what I want to say is that I hope what is taken away is just that there's a shade of that in our everyday life. That's right. That it, it doesn't have to be a catastrophe to make a different choice. That's and right. I think particularly now with the insane amount of layoffs and the real fear and the death that's around us, it's not, you know, maybe it's not quote unquote as bad as the Holocaust, 
But um, Lori Gottlieb uses this great phrase, which is, there is no hierarchy of pain. Oh, like, I love that. Yeah. You know, so let's just forget about that. Let's just forget about comparing things and instead say, this is not good. Like, this is pretty bad. But we still, no matter how bad, have the opportunity, have the invitation to choose how we respond to it. Um, and and so even in little things, like even in a relationship, even in a fight with a friend, even in a slight that you get from your boss, we, we are always invited to choose our reaction and to choose a reaction that makes us proud. And we don't need to be perfect. We just need to, to be self-aware and moving in the direction that we want to be moving. Oh, gosh, absolutely. Um, wow. Yeah, that really landed. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I, sort of related to that, you, you, you have this section of the book where the subtitle is, you can't control how others treat you, but you can control what you'll accept. And yeah. I just wrote like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> it's such an important lesson. And um, I mean, that's everything, right? You know, like I, I was just th- sort of thinking, and this is a lot like not as serious of topic as like we were just talking about, but yeah. Um, you know, like in the dating realm, right? Like, like I was mentioning, you know, so much of what you wrote really resonated because I also have, I've been, I've been like, you know, the kind of person where I'm like the therapist for the guy over and over again, trying to be like, Oh, I can yeah. help. I can help. And, um, you know, and I think that like I had this moment, not, not super long ago where like, I was just like not accepting a behavior anymore. And I remember mm-hmm. talking to my therapist about it and she was like, yes, we did it. Yeah. It's so great to be able to um, finally like realize like what, you know, you are and aren't going to put up with. Cause it really, like you said, you can't control. Everyone's going to act the way that they want to act. And especially if they find that you're like going to put up with certain behaviors, they're going to like test limits of that. So, right. Anyways, I just wanted to bring that up and like love to hear some of your thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I was just writing about how um, I've gotten a lot of questions recently that are like, I started journaling and it's amazing, but I realized my dad and husband should be journaling too. How do I get them to change? <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I, I basically, you know, they're hidden within other questions, but the question is, how do you get someone else to change? And the answer is, you don't. You know, nobody. People only change when they want to um, and when there's a, ne- a reason to. And if you keep accepting their bad behavior and accommodating them, then they literally have no reason to change Yeah, because there are no stakes. Like if you're just going to accept it, then why would they change? Um, but I think it's about building a lot of self-respect at the end of the day because I think a lot of where my relationship issues came from was I was just, I was so trained from such an early age that in order to be loved, I couldn't be myself. And mm-hmm. then I need, I needed to walk on eggshells and accommodate everybody else's feelings except my own. And I'm, what I'm lucky is that I just got so tired of doing that. Like I, I'm just exhausted. Like I don't have the bandwidth anymore to be small for somebody else. And it's been this almost alarming coming into where if somebody is too demanding or too needy, like, and if I start to feel myself shrink, 
I get angry now. And I'm like, ooh, that's mm. anger. I'm mad. I don't want that. No. And you can say no. <laughs> like, you do not, you know, need yeah. to accept something. And I actually broke up with someone I was dating in quarantine um, because I just realized I've had enough practice being small. Yes. I've, I've just, I don't need this skill. I've got it. Thanks. And, and it, and, and he's reached out a lot during the quarantine, um, to even just be helpful. And I'm like, no, I really like, yeah, I yeah. really don't need that. Yeah. And I think we can all, it's a muscle though. And, and people get mad at themselves. Like I know I was um, on a walk with a friend and she was t- beating herself up about why am I always, um, choosing these men who, they rush me into something and, and then they pull back and, you know, mm-hmm. she's giving me this saga of how she, you know, she's the victim of this circumstance. And I'm like, dude, you're building a muscle. Exactly. You're, it's not going to happen in the next round. And what I write about is a lot of our patterns repeat and repeat and repeat. And if you can just get a little, if you can just change the pattern a little bit, on each round, you're going to be in better yeah, shape. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so empowering when you fi- finally realize like, okay, like this person, you know, isn't a bad person and right. you know, they have a lot of great qualities. I think that's something I really struggled with. It was like for so long, it was like, oh, I like, ah, oh, I should make it work because they're so great in all these other areas. And I just talked myself out of it when really it's like, you have to listen to your body and it's like, this is not making me feel good. You know, and also we should circle and highlight the phrase, I should make this work because Uh dot, dot, dot. Because I can't really think of a circumstance, even kids, like there's no reason you should quote unquote make it work most of the time. Um, Like my parents stuck together. They should make it work because, you know, me and my sister around, but oh my God how I wish they had not tried to make it work because it was never going to work. Uh-huh. Like, exactly. like you can't make a car that is burnt out, get on the goddamn road. Like it's ju- like, it's just not possible. So now you're just pushing like a hulk of metal down a cement path. Like, no, thanks. That sounds n- not even possible. So I-, I think when we hear in our minds, should is a should be like a huge warning bell on uh, in in yes. regards to everything. Yes. Should is my least favorite word. It, and that actually brings me back to something else you said earlier that I really wanted to just put an exclamation point on was that when you were saying about because I know I've done this, I know so many friends that have done this that do this, where you you are in a certain situation where you're feeling a lot of pain and you just try to push it down because you say, right. I shouldn't be, I, look, everyone else or other people have so much worse than me. And I, yeah. really, I grew up with, like, my mother had lived in El Salvador. It's seen a lot of, like, poverty and terrible things. And right. I grew up thinking, like, just that sort of feeling of, like, I have no right to feel what I'm feeling because all these right. other horrible things are going on in the world. Um, and I think, and when I bring that to therapy still, because I will still do that and say, I shouldn't be, you know, and she will stop me right there and right. say, just what you said, you know, about your pain is valid. And we have the right to work through that, you know, um, it yeah. doesn't mean that we're not empathetic and 
aware. We we sh- absolutely should be aware of what's going on with others and you know, and the, the, the larger pain that happens in the world. Um, and that's what brings us a lot of empathy, but does not mean that we should neglect what we're feeling inside. No, I mean, simply because it doesn't work. Yeah. It, it, I mean, if, if for no other reason, the, the reason to throw away should is because it doesn't work. I don't know anybody it's ever worked for in the history of man. Like that, which you do not deal with deals with you always yes. yes 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 i love that line in the book yeah like, oh my gosh yes <laughs> it, it it will find a way to drive your life so the thing that you think you shouldn't feel it's got a mind of its own and it's going to dictate your decisions and how you see yourself and what you do until you decide to deal with it and you know if there's cuz i think people really get hypnotized by comparing their pain to others and how they mm-hmm. should or shouldn't feel so here's another hack. Um, if, if someone is ignoring their pain because someone else had it so much worse, how condescending is that? Right. Like it's an extremely judgmental, condescending, weird prism to look at the world. And I think, you know, one of the things I learned from reading this um, Victor Frankl's book is we have gotten to a part a point in our culture where suffering, there's no dignity in suffering. Like we don't look at someone else's suffering and pain as something amazing that they triumphed through. We look at it as down and low, like, well, that's bad. But like, who are we to say that? That someone else had a difficult situation and that much be must be much, much worse. Maybe there was beauty in it. Maybe they learned a lot. Maybe they became a stronger person and that became their gift. And how dare we become like the judges of what they went through, Um, which is not to say that that suffering is necessary to be a strong person. Absolutely not. But if it if it is to happen, that's right. You know, maybe the person really drew from it and became a fucking badass. And it's, it's just not up for me to like compare me to them. And it's, it's just bad for like the whole world. And so I think like, you know, what I talk a lot about is being gentle with yourself and with others. And particularly in a, in the pandemic, my number one goal is to emerge softer, Mm. like softer, like a pat of butter. Like Mm. I, I just want my edges to be smoothed and for me to be more gentle with myself, more gentle with other people and less reactive. Because I I think that's what the world wants right now. Like that's what it needs. People who are less quick to judge, less quick to be cruel, less quick to be reactive and and to kind of slow things down a little bit. Um, And so now I'm, I'm on a fucking tangent, but I love it. It's a great time. <laughs> I, I, I just think if we could, it's just not useful. I'm very driven. I'm extremely ambitious and I don't shy away from that word in the least. But I think the way to stoke that my drive is not to be hard, hard and not to be harsh on myself and to others, but actually to get softer and sweeter and more vulnerable. Like the like the more I travel down that path, 
the more the things I've wanted have come to fruition, the more I've built strong connections with people, that path is so abundant. The mean one where you're telling yourself how you shouldn't feel and ignoring how you actually do feel, there's very little in that path. Yeah, totally. Well, I know that for most, I mean, for me, I can speak for myself is that every major painful thing that, that has happened to me, I have taken something from it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, let's remember that there's beauty in that too, even if it's not oh. immediate. <laughs> I can't even, I have learned basically nothing from the things that were easy. Right. Like, exactly. If, if it's easy and fun, I base, I forget about it even. But if it was painful (laughs) and I fucking looked it in the eye but still dealt with it, those are where – those can be our magic powers, things that are so unique to us that we can draw strength from and really grow from if we're willing to look at them and see them as they really are and not throw a blanket of shit on it and try Mm -hmm. to, like, smother it. Absolutely. I love that image, too. (laughs) <laughs> um, so can we just talk about putting your your vulnerability into the wrong hands? Because you wrote mm. this great, I, had, I wrote a note on um, here, on my, on my Google Doc, that, mm. you, <laughs> that you say here, I used to make a terrible mistake. One of the ways I used to be cruelest to myself was when I shared information, secrets, or dreams with people who would treat my confidences with zero care. I've so been there. And yeah. I, I'm still working on this, really, yeah. because I make this mistake over and over again. Or, you know, you just put, like I said, you put your vulnerabilities into the wrong hands. Um, yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what you've learned there and, you know, yeah. when you have done that with the wrong people? I'm so glad you brought this one up because it's such, it's such an area where we can grow so much stronger. Yeah. And, and it connects back to one of the first things I was talking about, which, you know, I don't know if this was, is the case for you. But for me, the we got to look at why. Why am I putting my confidence in the wrong person? And for me, it was because I wanted to prove myself as worthy. And I thought if I prove, if this person accepts my idea or is pumped about my idea, then it's a good idea. Uh-huh. If they, if they, then. If, if this, then I'll be happy. If they like it, then I am validated and smart. And Again, whenever you hitch your self-esteem to an external factor, you're fucked. Like it, it's really hard. And so what I what I was doing was with professors or fancy people I considered to be fancy, quote unquote yeah. fancy. I would say, you know, I have this idea for a play about you know Anna Nicole Smith, and when they weren't just lauding it, I um would melt down. But, you know, just to use a really real example from right now, um, that Mother's Day essay that you read that I think is one of my favorite things I've ever written, mm. I, I pitched it to a very fancy place. And they, and I was like, this is the fucking essay. Like, I did it. I cracked it. This is a good essay. Even I know that. And they passed on it. And in, in years past, maybe I would have taken that um, personally and thought, oh, I'm such a failure. But I was like, whatever. Like my my value wasn't yeah. hitched to their reaction. And I was like, okay, I'll just post it somewhere else. And ooh, you know what? Actually, this would be great in book two. Ooh, book two. Let me think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And and I, I use that example because I also, if there are people listening who are, you know, writers um, who are aspiring and haven't had yet that like, quote unquote, like big break or, you know, whatever, um, I get rejected so often. Everybody like, does in writing. That's we all, like, it, we, it, it needs to be said. It's just like, yeah. if you're going to be a writer, this is like the reality. <laughs> I, I just, I want to yeah. like scream it from the rooftops because I think people sometimes could look at me and, you know, like, yeah. oh, she, like her thing was in, in style and goop and Forbes and whatever. And that's all true. But also you should know, I get rejected basically all of the time. I'm pitching ideas I would say once a day I am rejected in some way and I just don't, I don't let it get me down anymore. And it's because exactly to your question over time, I have learned not to go, not to ask somebody else to value me in order for me to value myself. And that's the trick about who you give your vulnerability to is like, ask yourself, why am I going to this person? Is it because I'm trying to prove a point or is it because I want some enthusiasm? Like I get really, in my book, I get really um, surgical about it. It's like three things. Do I need a hype man? Someone who's just a fan who's going to like amp me up a little bit and, and give me some encouragement? Do I, or do I need a road warrior? Like somebody who's knows about this particular topic and can give me some good feedback like those are the two reasons to for me to bring an idea to somebody. And then I have a third list, which is absolutely not, are you crazy? Do not share this idea with them, which is somebody who I'm trying to prove a point to or just want them to love me or like it's coming from some other weird place in myself. I just don't go to those people anymore because there's literally nothing there except pain for me. Yeah. So I think we can build the muscle little by little. But the first thing to do is just ask yourself when you think I want to go to somebody with an idea, like you could ask yourself why, like why this person, what is my motivation? And if the motivation is to gain their approval, I love you very much, but don't you fucking dare. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And I love too this, this, this reminder that not everyone like is gonna like you and yeah like no matter who you are and yeah. it's not your people and it's like okay because I think I'm I'm the kind of per- I'm reading your words I was like yes 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 this is so me too and I think a lot of people are like this sort of this need or, or who had this previous need or want for people to like you I think it's a very right. natural thing to have yeah you know um yeah, totally. but there's a difference between kind of having that and I think it seems like this is where you're at now. It's like, yeah, you can have that. Of course, you want people to like you, but your your own self worth doesn't rely on it. And exactly, you don't need to look to external feedback to know that you're okay. Um, and I I was sort of thinking about how this has been really life changing for me. And I, I really saw this in your words too. It's like where I used to be the kind of person where like I would read into every little thing where like mm. I'd like say a guy that I liked whatever I was talking to and and like he would text me and you know we, previously he would put little hearts and now suddenly it's like a period after you know, mm-hmm. and I was like oh my gosh what did I do like oh no why like you know and it's like right. it's not always this big thing you know <laughs> like it's um, right and everyone has their own shit going on and their own moods and all that and like 
yeah, it's not like, like just because people's behaviors aren't like, you know, matching exactly how they previously acted or whatever. doesn't mean it's some like that they don't like you anymore. And even the ones that don't like you, it's okay. Like you even like them. That's the other question. Yeah. (laughs) You forget to ask. (laughs) I mean, there are like 15 things I could talk about right there, but you know, the, the ones that come like screaming at me are basically how, how people treat you. It's just not personal. Yeah. We we take it so personally, it's not. The way they treat you is the way they treat themselves. It's the way they treat everybody else. Yep. It's how they move in the world. And so for us to take things personally is a grave mistake. You know, I could take how my parents treated me personally. I grew up, you know, very neglected. It wasn't personal. They neglected themselves. They didn't take care of themselves. They didn't know how to take care of themselves. They treated me the way they knew how and that was what they knew and so when we get hung up on so and so is treating me so poorly it's like I love you but it's not about you it's about them and you have the choice of how you'll react you have the choice of what you'll accept and there are very few things that are really done to us that anybody ever set out to to do and and while I agree, you know, I think we all just want to be liked. I, I'd actually, I'd rephrase it as, I think at the end of the day, we all want to be loved. Yes, we all belong, right? Belong. We want to yeah. feel connected. That's what we want. That is 100% true, but it's a fake connection. It yeah. is not real if it's like desperate and you yeah. need, and, you know, like, and you need them to like, respond with a happy face emoji like <laughs> right then then that relationship wasn't worth it and, 100% yeah and I think to give ourselves some kindness of like ooh, I'm learning okay like we also don't need to beat ourselves up like ah like I can't believe I'm doing this again hug sure. that just yeah. hug yourself and say you're you're building self-awareness that's amazing Totally. And I also like, I don't know about you, but one thing that's just really helped me to reframe this whole thing is just thinking about how, you know, it's, it's, if people like don't fit in your life for some reason, like it's not working on either end, like it's not a bad, it's not good or bad. It's just, it is what it is. And that those just aren't your people. And I think like I was talking to Lily King, the author um, about Mm -hmm. her book, Writers and Lovers. And there's this line in there that really like jumped out at me that was, you know, talking about how as, especially as women, you know, in relationships with, you know, in romantic relationships, and that's what she was speaking about in this book. But, you know, we, we get so hung up on if the other person likes and accepts us that we forget to sometimes look at, like, do we actually like them? And I spent so much of my life in that space. And me too. yeah, Yeah. I think a lot of us do. And I, I sort of was thinking about, as I was reading your book, this time in my life is very short period when I was in a super toxic work environment where mm-hmm. like I felt so rejected by the people there. Um, mm-hmm. And when I, when I look back on it, I'm like, why did I feel like I needed them to like me so much? Because I, they're kind of like mean, monstrous people. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do I, like, I don't want to be liked by those people. You know what I right. mean? We forget totally. that, you know? Yeah, I I think it's especially in in romantic relationships for me that's the number one place where that comes out for me. Um 
which blessedly it comes out less and less. But before, like, I want them to like me before I have even figured out if I like them. Yeah. And I think the weird invitation in the quarantine is to slow things down a little bit and to start asking yourself, what do I like? What do I desire? What, what, what do I want out of my next friendship or work relationship or anything? I think if there's a, a moment to question some of these things. And I, I hope that people are doing a little bit of that work as hard as it is um, because we could come out a lot stronger um, on the other end. And, and I'm just such an optimist that, that I think we will. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I just to kind of put a bow on, on this conversation yeah. about what we're talking about, I think just a little nudge to everybody listening, um, which is really something you speak about a lot in this book. Um, I think just surrounding yourself with people that like lift you up and don't bring you yeah. down is it's a life changing thing, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, if I can give an example of please. even in a quarantine, it's possible. And I'd say the number one of the other big questions I get is people who say in the book, it seems like you have such amazing friends, but I'm 35. How am I going to make friends as an adult? I, I get that question all of the time. And the answer is you go out and you make friends. Yeah. You, ma- you make it your priority. And so one thing I did recently was I realized I I had had some like some friendships grow apart in a way and that there was some things that I was lacking in my life and and that I wanted to explore more. So I actually wrote a list of people I wanted to get closer to and I reached out to one of them and I just told her. I said she was an acquaintance. You know, I'd talked to her a few times and I said I really think you're cool. I think you're so smart. I'd really like to get to know you better. Would you be open to that? Mm. And, you know, I got vulnerable. I went out on that limb and she met me and she said, yeah, of course, let's do this. And, you know, even though she lives across the country, she's, I have a much deeper relationship with her than I did six weeks ago. And so if you're in a place where you think I don't have, people lifting me up like I don't have those friends around me you absolutely can the the first thing to do is to take stock of what you need like what do you need what do you you don't need fancy friends who like have high status do you need friends who are more compassionate kinder like like what is it that you're lacking and then are there any people in your acquaintance circle that maybe could fit that, that you'd like to get to know better. And now go get to know them better. Zoom with them, call them, make a plan. You know, getting close to somebody is, if 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 you guys vibe at all, it's basically just repetition. Yeah. It's how, how many times have you talked to them? How many experiences and memories can you build? And it's never too late to build meaningful friendships. Like, Absolutely. honestly... I'm always opening my circle and I'm always meeting new people and deepening those friendships. So to anyone who's listening, who needs more people who lift them up, it's totally possible to do it. You're just going to need to be a little vulnerable and commit to it. 
I love that story. Thank you for sharing it. And I, I, I do yeah. hear that a lot. It's funny because that's one area of my life where like I haven't felt stuck. I definitely in the romantic yeah. side, but like with the, I'm 37. And I mean, mm-hmm. I, this last year I've made a couple friends that I feel like are soulmates, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, I never think it's too late. That's, that's like not even a question. Um, but I do see, I see that a lot that people really do have that, um, that feeling and they get, they get stuck there. So I, yeah. I really love that practical story that you just shared, um, yeah. that you can reach out. <laughs> My pleasure. Yeah. Um, okay. So I've taken up a lot of your time already, but I, it's okay. I just want to ask you a couple quick questions. Sure. More, please. More, okay. Um, so I just wanted to touch on, there's also a theme of gratitude and in your book mm. and of thank you cards, which I was like, yes, I found somebody else who loves writing thank you cards. Mm. <laughs> it's always been my thing too. Um, and I want to kind of relate to that. I wanted to ask you, um, this is one of my favorite questions to ask people is what's an act of kindness that you've received that felt transformative or just really had an impact on you? Hmm. An act of kindness that is transformative. I mean, it's like so overwhelming. Yeah. That I, there are so many acts of kindness. Um, but one, which what I mean, there are so many to choose from. I think I could start with, you know, the um, something related to the book, which was I, I never, even though I wrote every single day and even though I felt like horrible if I didn't write, I refused to call myself a writer. And I refuse to think that I had the power to write or like the ability to do it. And as I was like kind of building my self-confidence and I was on this self-care journey, um, I said out loud to a friend, I want to write a book. And Mm. she was like, that's cool. Let me introduce you to someone who just did. And this woman, she's the director. Her name is Susanna Fogel. She directed The Spy Who Dumped Me, and she's just, like, an incredible writer and generous person. She sat with me on the phone for, like, an hour as I just word vomited to her all my thoughts. And she could have just been like, okay, kid, whatever. You know, like, Hmm. she could have been really dismissive, but she took me seriously, and she was really encouraging. And then she went one step further and introduced me to her agent. Hmm. And that agent then spent nine months working on the book proposal with Mm. me. So that act of kindness of her just saying, I think this is a pretty good idea. Like you should continue to pursue it. It, I was in such a fragile place, you know, because keep in mind, this is before I've done, I'm definitely was doing the reparenting work, but it was still like five years ago or something. Um, She, she took me seriously. She was really kind. And that changed the course of my life. Wow. Yeah, that's so lovely. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Those, those people are everywhere. And it's like, but it feels like a miracle every time you come across them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I, I also, I, I, I need to ask you this, even though it's very yeah. much um, woven throughout your whole book and throughout our conversation here. One question I make sure to ask everybody is when you've been through a hard day, Mm-hmm. Or a month or a year, however long. Uh, what what do you pull on in your personal toolkit to help you get to the other side? Oh my god, I pull out everything. <laughs> I've got literally a tool belt of every single tool possible. And I mean, 
it's an overwhelming amount of self-care tools in my um in my toolbox but i mean journaling journaling and exercise are probably the two that most consist like i won't give up i don't even have it in me anymore not to work out because it is such an anxiety reliever for me um so when i'm going through a hard time it's usually met with a really good run and I know that sounds like simple and childish. And if I had said that to me at 23, I would have been like, uh, that's not possible. My anxiety and my depression are so deep. A run won't help. But, you know, the physical act of moving, of meeting small goals, of sweating, of pumping endorphins, um, exercise really is one of my most important tools in my life. That's so great. I love, I love people read in the book, like, but I love the story, sort of how you got to, to exercise, you know, and yeah, how you got to love it and how you don't have to necessarily start out that way, you know? Oh, <laughs> I did not. I was a theater kid to the core for anybody who's listening. Like I was not someone who would be caught dead working out, but uh, even I have come to recognize the power in it. I love it. Um, you work with a lot of artists, and I, I just wanted to ask you if there are any lesser-known artists that you especially admire. Hmm. I mean, so many. My because I'm like so steeped in comedy. Um, like it's almost like I don't even know who's that known and who's not known because I know them. Right, you know, so right. my my perspective is kind of um, wonky, but. I love um, Milana Weintrube. She is a um, comedian and creator, and she escaped. Well, her family were um, immigrants to this country, and so she has done so much work for refugees. Like, she's just one of those people who, like, does everything like and then she's like super beautiful and you're like what the fuck (laughs) like like how do you live um but I really love her work um who (laughs) you're just looking for somebody who's like amazingly funny and just goes there there's a comedian named Tim Dillon who just I've gone on he does these bus tours of Manhattan where he shows you the insane um, circumstances of how property was bought and sold and what things sold for. And it's sort of like a capitalism takedown through a tour of like mid city. Um, but all of his comedy, if you check him out on Instagram, he's just so funny. So Milana and Tim would be my, my two right now. Thank you. Um, yeah. So lastly, I like to just do like a favorite list. So I'll just like name the thing. Sure. Okay. Uh, so what's a, it's a book that's been really meaningful to you. I'm going to go Victor Frankl on this. I can't this wait. Is, I can't wait to read oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Victor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Everybody should read it. Excellent. How about an album or song? Ooh, um, so many. But the one that first popped into my mind was um, Joni Mitchell. I don't know if the title of it is Paris or Free Man in Paris. Yes, but yes, 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 yes. The song. It's a, yeah. yeah. That's a song that I just am obsessed with and always go back to. Yeah, Joni is my all-time favorite. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Um, place? This is going to be so uh, – I would say Paris, but I just used a Paris thing. <laughs> um, okay. Ojai, 
Ojai, California. Oh, it's like so beautiful. Sun-drenched, beautiful little valley. I love in your book you talk about going to Ojai like as a day trip. And yeah, I think that's so great because it's accessible to everyone. You know, we can wherever we can just take a day trip at this point, you know, somewhere even if Yeah, it's, anybody. Know. Yeah. If you can afford a half a tank of gas, you can afford to go to Ojai. Exactly. Great. And lastly, how about, how about a favorite memory? One of my favorite memories is being with my little sister um, in the Metropolitan Museum of Art walking through the Temple of Dender. Because we both, it's like the Egyptian government gave, or probably America just stole, a temple and, and put it in the Met. And my little sister and I were obsessed with ancient Egypt as a kid. And as adults, we did um, like a sister's retreat in New York where she came to visit me and just getting to know her again after a difficult childhood and and getting to go to a place that we loved as kids, but now as adults was really special. Hmm. I love that. Thank Mm -hmm. you so, so much, Tara. This was um, just everything. This conversation was uplifting, you know, inspiring, all the things. So I appreciate it so much. This was such a great conversation. I really thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Musings of the Artist is audio produced by Aaron Mooring, and the theme music is by Ilan Isakoff. <laughs>